0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. I love how Matt warmed everybody up with the suns and sports talk and you bring up the nerd to talk about biology. (laughs) Feels like high school again. All right. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. So uh, if you've been here for the last couple of times that I've talked, I, I always preface this with saying I am not a preacher. Um, I'm not. When we were kids, we called if somebody was was like a visiting preacher, we say, is he a God preacher or a God preacher? Because if he was a God preacher, you were going to get a hellfire and brimstone speech. <laughs> I can't do that. OK, there's a lot of people out there that are better than that than I am. So you won't get that tonight from me. But what you will get from me is a study, deep dive into what God has told us in the Bible. And then we use something modern. We use some science to show you stuff that he already had told us thousands of years ago. It backs up the things that he teaches us through his word. And we just look some basic aspects and functions of that. So the first lesson that I taught uh, two months ago was on the psychology of temptation. And we went through that. We broke it down. We saw how we think and how our process is and how we can avoid certain things on our path to serving God. The following one was on the science of hope. And we talked about the scientific effect of hope on a person and how it can create a happy, more life-fulfilled life for you. Or it can send you in spiraling into depression, depending on which side you walk on hope and your trust in God for all of that. So tonight, it's written across the screen for you. We're going to talk about the biology of love. So if you can, for just a second, I want you to think back when you were very young, your first thoughts of love that you had. I want you to think about your first crush that you had what that felt like my first crush was daphne from scooby-doo so it wasn't a person <laughs> at that time wasn't a person but i was pretty sure i was going to marry her and i remember i made it into first grade and i had a crush at that time and i can kind of remember vaguely the feelings of that but there was a lot of excitement i think i drew a lot of pictures for her, things like that um i ended up kissing her hand on the playground and she told her mom that she was pregnant <laughs> yeah true story <laughs> and Her mom told her you were no longer allowed to play with that boy. So that was my first person crush. But I can remember at even a young age, you know, at the age of seven, that excitement, that feeling of seeing someone and being with somebody. So those were our first thoughts. And those thoughts weren't based on any knowledge I had of love before that, other than the love of my mother and father for me. That was based on other things, like things I saw on TV or the relationships I saw out in public. And I was like, that's how you're supposed to be. That's what a couple looks like. So. I've got a couple images I want to show you guys on here. Hopefully this works for me. Of what people think of when they think of love. So think of your thoughts here. First one, Valentine's Day, right? You remember that from school? You created your little cards. If you were really lucky, you got the card with a lollipop on it. That means the person really liked you. <laughs> and then you cut them out, you sign them to your friends, and you wrote the word love on it. And that's what your concept of love was at the time. It was hearts. Hearts, 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 everywhere is hearts. It's love, love is from the heart. That's what it is. Okay, let's move on to the next one. When you're teenagers, love. I picked the most obscure picture, I know. Nobody dresses up like 50s do wop anymore. I love this woman's judgmental look from behind. This is a woman who like, I remember that day. <laughs> you see that look on her face? So, teenage love, it's very infatuating It's what we think of. It's just kind of a, an image when it comes to love. Fairy tales, right? We get a lot of our concepts of love from movies, television, proposals that, you know, you're going to meet your damsel in distress or your knight in shining armor that will propose to you and take you away. So one of our thoughts that we have for that. Some some of you, this is love. Yes. <laughs> I'm here, so yes. Oh. I wouldn't even get into that. But some people's concepts of love. And then there's this love. And as we grow up and we mature and we get into relationships, we understand that this is where we want to be. This is how we want the scenario to go with the end. A life of love lived together. But this is a specific kind of love. And while we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, we're going to talk about all the different aspects of love for that. so I'll go ahead and move that off for right now. Looking in your notes, we're going to start and kind of just read along together. We're going to discuss some of these, th- these things. And again, tonight's sort of a class to just talk about the biology of love and how it affects us as believers. The definition of love in Merriam-Webster is affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties, maternal love for a child, attraction based on sexual desire, or affection and tenderness felt by lovers. So we kind of covered the bases when we talked about that for love, what we think that is. That's just a, a common concept for love. For many people, the concept of love is based on what has been seen or read in books, television, movies, or what has been explained by family and friends. When we start to feel love manifest in our life, it's often influenced and compared to these concepts that we see in society. Love feels like a beautiful emotion that fills us with happiness, comfort, a sense of belonging and feeling of completeness. While all these feelings can certainly be encompassed in love, there's also a far deeper biological effect of love that can help us understand God's insistence. That we live our lives through love. Let me say it again. God's insistence. It's not an option. Love is not an option. God's insistence through that. When we see the TVs and the movies, we're like, man, that is it. That is what love is. That is what I'm going to aspire to be. And then the screen rolls cut and those actors go off and they are on their 18th wife or they're currently having an affair or something is going along with that. And everything that we see on the screen is pure entertainment. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have aspects of that. And the moments we're like, wow, you feel like I'm in a fantasy. Absolutely, that's great. That's wonderful. But when we start holding ourselves up to the concepts of society and saying, this is what true love is here, we have completely missed the mark of what God intended for all of that. Reality is love is crucial for survival in both this terrestrial life and in our spiritual life. Paul tells the church in Corinth, that his work is meaningless without love. Let's take that word meaningless for just a second. What does that really mean? Well, that means that nothing I do matters at all, at all without God. Let's read the verse, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and are in angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing through that. Paul is really reaching there to show you the extent of the things that he could have in his life that would make him great in the eyes of everybody else. Talking about power, great faith, prestige, the ability to speak well, all of those things and saying none of it matters without love. Love is the prerequisite for everything else that we do in our life. Love is the prerequisite for how we live our lives serving God. It's the prerequisite of how we reach others. It's a prerequisite of how we bring others to the word. It all has to be done by love first or none of the rest of it matters. So it is the single biggest building block for us as believers. That we have love in our life. Paul's imploring the church in Corinth to walk in love, even stating that his life is meaningless without it. Paul will continue in the chapter later on by saying the greatest tool that you can bes- possess as a believer is love. And do we look at love as a tool? Love's a feeling, right? Love's an emotion. Speaking well, that's a tool. Having the ability to go out and reach others, that's a tool. Having the ability to retain scripture and remember them so that you can pull out those scriptures in the right time to talk to somebody, that's a tool. But Paul's saying, no, the greatest tool above all those is love. That's the tool that is going to bring others to God. We want to make sure we have those. So let's go into history here real quick on what love is. Let's break it down. You guys have all heard this before. This is just a quick reminder for you. So the first type of love is eros. We've heard that before that's the desire attraction physical love so derived from the name of the greek uh, god for attraction eros which the roman name for that god is anybody know that name for the god cupid <laughs> there we go very good i thought the arrow would help cupid we all know cupid we're like oh yeah cupid that's the little baby with the diaper and the arrow right that's the one that means love well eros is the greek counterpart for that um it's the love and attraction that's performed uh, performed between a couple initially based on attraction that attraction eventually forms into desire and that desire can move towards stages of lust this is a love that is permitted in the bible only between the union of a married couple and we see this because paul warns the church in Corinth that they should enter into a marriage to avoid lustful desires in first corinthians 7 8 and 9. however when the marriage Uh, excuse me, however, within the marriage, this love is condoned by God and encouraged to create a strong bond between a couple. That is a complete shift of societal thinking, complete shift. That this love can only be justified, can only be given, can only be blessed, can only be delivered between a marriage, between a man and a woman. Now society says, stay away from marriage. Don't do that. You can have all of this right now and just go from one person to the next. It is the complete epitome of eros love, especially in Roman culture. <laughs> That's what it was. But God saying, no, no, no. I'm okay with this love. I want you to have this love. This love is important for you, but only within the confines of marriage. We see uh, some words here from Solomon where he puts it so eloquent excuse me, eloquently, not me speaking, but he puts it eloquently. Proverbs 5, verse 18. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her bosom satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Now, think about the imagery that he's putting in there, what that means. To be intoxicated, think of that for just a second. You ever seen somebody who's intoxicated? They can't speak, they slur their words. They kind of walk from side to side, their heads in the clouds. They can't form a coherent sentence to where you can say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It doesn't make any sense. Well, that is what he's saying here. I hope that your wife does this to you. I hope your wife intoxifies you to where you can't function straight. (laughs) Enjoy her every single day because she's a gift. He goes on in Ecclesiastes 9.9, live happily with the woman you love through the meaningless days of life. That God has given you under the sun, the wife God gives you is your reward for your earthly toil. Now, some people in culture right would say, "I ain't nobody's reward." You tell me that. I'm not a reward, but this is actually a beautiful thing. He didn't say money, he didn't say gold, he didn't say power. He said your wife is what you get for working so hard in this world and serving me. This is your gift for all of that. See this love, this Eros love that society likes to throw around everywhere, this is something extremely special, extremely special. Because it is a love that is a reward given by God. Now in the confines of marriage, all the other things that come into that, the lust, the the excitement of being together, everything that can be entangled into that, that is in a marriage. Everything outside of that is perverted. Everything outside of the marriage is not permitted. And if we can understand that part, then we can understand the other concepts of love that come along with that. The next love is agape. Now, agape love is a word that we hear a lot. And agape love can be thrown around as, like this is the love of Christians for each other. This is the love of Christians trying to reach the love of God for each other. Because agape, if you really look at the definition of it, is God's immeasurable, perfect love. Agape speaks of a divine love that was, is without exception and in the purest form. This is the sacrificial love without limits. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because God so wanted power, he gave his only begotten son. So God so wanted prestige, he gave his only begotten son. No, what does it say? Because God so loved the world. Perfect, pure, sacrificial, without measure. Now, we try to reach this. We try. We want this for each other. But there's always something that will pull us back. Maybe a hurt feeling or a hurt word that takes us out. We start to put uh, parameters on what our love is. Well, I will love you to this point. But then if you say this, I ain't going to love you anymore. That is not agape love. Agape love is un conditional love. When Peter approaches Jesus and Jesus tells Peter, do you love me? He is telling Peter, do you have an agape love for me? Unconditional. Do you love me like I love you? And Peter says, of course I love you, Lord. Not agape love. Not at all. We're going to see if that's more of a philo love. Peter's like, of course I love you. You're like a brother to me. I love you. And then what happens is Peter definitely does not have that agape love <laughs> because when it comes down to, two, down to it, Peter turns his back on Jesus in a heartbeat. Unconditional love, thats what we all strive for. The third one is storge, or storge as people are saying it now. When I was a kid growing up, it was storge, but I think storge is the correct pronunciation. Derived from the Greek word for familial love or family love, storge refers to love from a parent to a child or the love between siblings. So parents, when you held that baby in your arms for the first time, and you look down at that baby, that's the love you felt. That connection of, I will do anything for this child. Brothers, there seems to always be this unspoken connection between brothers. I cannot stand you until somebody gets in between us, (laughs) and then I'm coming after you, all right? That is that storjay love for that. And then the next love is philia it's friendship love derived from the Greek noun philos meaning dearly loved or beloved. This refers to love between friends and close relationships, so we all know we always use the example of Philadelphia city of brotherly love that's what it's talking about so that is philia love right there. But there is a fifth kind of love that's used at least one time in the Bible, and it is a combination of the two that's the philo love. This is a hybrid from both phila and storge and refers to a love so strong between brothers that you become family. The translation in Romans 12.10 is referring to philo storge. If you look back at the original text, Romans 12.10, Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So being devoted to one another in love is loving each other as family. And that is what God's intention always was for us. We are brothers. We are sisters. He is our father. We are family. Those are the different types of love that we have. So when we go back to our thing and pull up our pictures and say, I am so in love, which one of those is it? (laughs) When you say to yourself, I am so in love with that person, is it an Eros infatuation love? Is it a love because you really admire how much they care about other people? And you want to be part of their life, a philo love. Is it an agape love where you're like, I would do anything for that person no matter what? No matter what. (laughs) Or are we looking for that storge love, that that family type of love? I feel such a kinship to them. Now, what I wanted to do tonight is I want to break down something very important for us to understand. Because God is telling us this is the most important thing. Paul is telling us this is the most important thing nothing else matters nothing else exists without it so how does this affect us in our everyday lives how can we break this down now that we understand the types of love it's time to understand what love can do to us and what the lack of love can cause us to feel love is deeply biological these are a couple of doctors that have actually written together quite a bit on the biological effects of love it says love is deeply biological it pervades every aspect of our lives and has inspired countless works of art. Love has also the profound effect on our mental and physical state. A broken heart or a failed relationship can have disastrous effects. Bereavement disrupts human physiology and might even um, excuse me, uh, precipitate death. Without loving relationships, humans fail to flourish, even if all of their other basic needs are met. Boom. Doctor said it. Science fact. Print it, stick it out there. Now, keep in mind, this has been written thousands of years ago already by God. It's the exact same thing. Nothing else matters without love. That's it. Paul said it. Nothing else matters without love. What are these doctors saying? You don't have love. You're in a world of hurt. There's All kinds of problems that can come from this. You can die earlier without love in your life. You can die or have your life significantly reduced by losing someone close to you that you love. All of these things are part of it. One very important factor to remember is that love is a function. I'm going to blow minds here. Love is a function of the brain and not the heart. Yeah, because we've all said that, right? feel it in my heart. She's the one. I feel it in my heart. Well, actually, you don't (laughs) because your brain is the system that controls how your heart feels. But the thing is, for thousands of years, we always said that love came from the heart because of what the heart would do. When you fall in love and that heart starts speeding up, starts thumping faster, I can feel it in my heart. (laughs) You can, because it's pumping, but that's not what's sending your heart to pumping on that. So let's keep that in mind as we talk about these other parts here. It is not your heart that's controlling love, it's your brain. So let's look at our next page. What does love do to us? Now you have these things in your brain, all right, you have your prefrontal cortex anybody's taking development in school physical development biology child psychology child development it's in all of them you have your prefrontal cortex right here and then below it you have your your hypothalamus which goes to your pituitary gland which goes down to your adrenal gland which can make everything function in your body your prefrontal cortex is your thinker all right your hypothalamus is like let's do it <laughs> let's just shoot it out let's just get those juices flowing and your free cortex, free frontal, excuse me, prefrontal cortex is what regulates that. So let me read this to you, and then I'll hopefully explain it to where it makes a little more sense. The front of your brain is home to the prefrontal cortex that governs your rational decision-making, but below the brain is your hypothalamus that controls lust, attraction, and attachment. The hypothalamus can disrupt the prefrontal cortex, allowing our desire for love to cause us from thinking rationally. Paul already recognized this when he implores the church in Corinth to marry first before giving over to their lust. In other words, listen to your prefrontal cortex before you act with your hypothalamus. <laughs> That's what he was telling them. That's what he was telling them. This is where I think. This is where I rationalize. But when that hypothalamus starts working and starts saying, ooh, look at that person right there, it can actually start to inhibit the way you think. It can put these blinders on your prefrontal cortex that's trying to say, no, 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 don't do that. That's not a good situation. Stop that. It makes you think, okay, I'll just go right over there and talk a little bit. And then that leads to other things for that. The hypothalamus sends the signals to produce testosterone and estrogen for lust. It sends dopamine and serotonin and neuro, I always say this wrong, neuroepinephrine to produce attraction. It sends oxytocin and vasopressin producing attachment. All those things from your hypothalamus there in your brain is producing all those things, okay? So let's just break this down really quick and I promise you I'm bringing this all back to love once I get the science out of the way here. So the dopamine, a lot of you guys know what dopamine is. You hear it all the time. Very simply put, it's released when we experience things that feel good, such as intimacy, but also spending time with friends. Now, um, norepinephrine is released when there is an attraction making us act giddy and excited and euphoric, but here's the thing, it also serves as a blocker for appetite and can cause insomnia. You ever love somebody so much that you start feeling those butterflies in your stomach? I can't eat. (laughs) I can't think. I am so in love. I can't sleep at night. Yep, that's what's coming from your norepinephrine. Serotonin and the lack of serotonin can lead to loss of of appetite and desired mood, can actually start pushing you towards depression. Oxytocin produced in large quantities during intimacy, but also is produced during attachment, mother to child, brother to brother, family to family. So we see all these things and understand that this is how our brain is working to help us function as a person. There's the natural desire to find somebody to be intimate to reproduce that's innate for that. But there's also these inhibitors that trying to keep you from doing it the wrong way that are working together in your body. So let's just talk really quick. What does this mean to us all these things. Paul tells us that the most important tool to have is love, but the process of how we love can vastly affect who we are and how we act towards others. The dopamine that we produce in our brains can provide euphoria and attraction, but can also be overpushed, causing us to want to commit adultery, use irrational behavior, and extreme bouts of jealousy. Take that in for just a second. Is it a good thing? Yeah, great. But if we don't regulate it by how we think, how we act, how we live our lives and how we serve our God, it will push us to a limit far past our own body is comfortable with. And then we start making mistakes. We start doing things that will actually harm the body and actually start sending us into a shutdown measure where we can sink in depression and other things are are following up with that. Oxytocin can help us feel strong bonds. It can also be over elevated and produce prejudice. Do you guys know that? The feeling I have for my friends here at this church, for this family here, it can be strong, but it could also push me a little too far to where and say, I don't want you to come join us. I'm kind of happy with what we got here. Interesting, isn't it? This is how our brain is working through this biology of love. I love this family so much here that I'm not going to let an outsider come in because they might mess us up here. I love this group so much, I would die for them. So anybody else is an enemy that comes around. That's all produced by that oxytocin in our brain. Studies have shown that uncontrolled arousal can turn off areas of our prefrontal cortex. If we choose to ignore the signals, these ignore areas and critical thinking, rational behavior and self-awareness. These are the areas that, that are we ignore through that. Critical thinking, rational behavior, and self-awareness. Why am I standing in the middle of this club at 2 a.m. with all these people gyrating around me? (sighs) When you pop out of it and realize what brought me here, what led me to this? See, I didn't listen to my brain when it was telling me, don't do this. I followed my emotions, but that is what society tells you. Do what feels good. That's what your hypothalamus is telling you. (laughs) Do what feels good. Follow that, go with that. Dopamine is gonna make you feel great. Oxytocin is gonna make you feel great. Just go with it. Get that instant gratification, get that instant high. And then what happens the next day, boom, prefrontal cortex kicks in and says, you're in big trouble. <laughs> you know what you just did last night? And then what happens? That same oxytocin starts producing depression. And then what do we do? Oh, I gotta get out of this. I'm gonna go back to the club <laughs> we get in, we go back over again and then the same process happens again and again and our brain starts making a trick for us. And what does God say? Turn your thoughts onto things above. Because when you do that, you don't have a wake up the next day saying, what did I do? Yeah. You wake up the next day saying, I am so glad I did that. I'm so glad that I decided to go worship with my brothers and sisters. I'm so glad I did a Bible study. I'm so glad I met up with friends from the church, and we just hung out because our eyes were turned to God. And when we do that, this becomes far more powerful than this that is telling us to just go with your feelings and enjoy it. I love this. I, I read this uh, article from Dr. Wu. She's a contributor to Harvard, and she wrote this whole wonderful thing on biology and how it works with love and stuff, but she finished it with this that I thought was so fitting. Being a Christian, I, I see right through it. and I was could not wait to respond in my own way. Dr. Wu, a contributor for Harvard explained, love can be both the best and worst thing for you. It can be the thing that gets us up in the morning or what makes us never want to wake up ever again. I'm not sure I could define love for you if I kept you here for another 10,000 pages. So I say to Dr. Wu, I can help you define love. You ready? Here it is. Love is patient. Love is kind, it's not jealous, love does not brag, it's not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, because love never fails. There you go, Dr. Wu. You want an explanation? It's right there, right there for you, written in the Bible. That's what love is. But if you know she want to take it from me, one of her students responded to her lecture, and I love this, she said, this is to, to Dr. Wu. She said, I often wonder if we were created in a God likeness and image, and he loved us first, and that's how we know love, that perhaps that was his purpose, that we would seek him because he is the only one that can truly fulfill that void and reveal the true meaning of his divine grace. Amen. You got it. Your student's smarter than you (laughs) move on. Wow. I could not have said it better than myself. Maybe love exists because we come from a loving God. Then not only sharing that with us, but teaching us how to share that with each other. It's wonderful. Let's read the scripture here, because I think it's important for us to always understand that as much as science gives us great answers, scripture gives us greater ones. Can we exist without love in our hearts? Very simple answer is no. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, the words command and must state that love is necessary in our walk with God, and none can know Jesus without love in their hearts. He said, again, I have loved you, so you must love one another. Command and must means it has to be done. It's not a wonderful thing or a good suggestion or a fantastic idea. It has to be done. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without love in your heart. Period period. 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love of the, of the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. So perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us his command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. He's given us his command. I love so many people, but I don't love that one over there. I love like the majority of the people in my life, but there's like four or five I don't love. Is God telling you that you have to have an Eros kind of love with those people where you just cannot wait to be around them? Where you just cannot wait to listen to every word and hang on every thought and they just vex you to point of death, but I'm going to love them because I'm infatuated with them. Nope. Look at the words that he uses right here. You must also love their brother and sister. That philo, storge love, right there. You do so many terrible things to me. You treat me wrong, but I keep forgiving you and I keep forgiving you and in my heart, I love you nonstop, hoping that one day you will come to me and say, I'm sorry. finally realized how much i've messed up please forgive me and you say i already have that's our conversation with god right there god i have messed up i have done so many things wrong to you i've done so many things in my life. you're already forgiven it's already done because i have agape love for you which is unconditional for what you do for me So let's look at a couple things real quick here. What do we do when we're feeling unloved? You know, one of the three biggest reasons for suicide is a feeling of being uncared for or unloved for that. And it's mostly between young people. So what do I do when I feel like I'm not being loved? Well, number one, as it always should be pray pray. God is always listening and is actively loving you right now. Think of that. Actively loving you. Surround yourself with positive people and positive places. Church is a great start. Just throwing that out there. But surround yourself with positive people and positive places. 2 a.m. in a nightclub. Nope. <laughs> nope. But still, Calling a friend up and say, hey, can I come over and just hang out for 30 minutes? Get a little quick refresher, a quick lift, pick me up, however you want to say it. Yes, absolutely. Calling a brother, couple of brothers together to hang out. Great. I got to hang out with a couple of friends from the church Friday night. Laughed the whole time. What do you think that's doing? Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin. Brain's happy. It's good. It's a good thing. Avoid self-medicating. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, other vices produce the levels of dopamine and oxytocin that can drive depression. It's real easy to hide behind a bottle for a moment or to knock yourself out with some pills for a moment. But then what follows that up here chemically, what follows that is a severe depression, a severe drop off. Brothers and sisters, stay away from it, but please notice that in the people around you and be that love for them. Be that support for them, because if you're not, you have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea the lows that they're at in their life and you just sitting next to them, what that can do. Oxytocin, serotonin, all right here. That happiness, that feeling of I'm loved, I'm cared for. It all starts coming through. Number four, seek help from trusted friends and professionals. Now, I could probably tell you there would be 50 people that would stand up here and say, nope, stay away from counselors, psychologists, whatever else. Don't do that. And then I could have another 100 Christians stand up and say, absolutely do it. It's fantastic for you. It's great. However you fall on that scale, talk to someone. Talk to someone. If you don't want to see a professional, that's okay. Okay. Talk to someone who you trust in the church. If you don't want to pay to get medical help for something you're feeling, that's okay. But talk to someone about it. Because when you hold it here in the heart that doesn't think, it goes up here to the brain that does. And that's when bad things start happening. When that depression, sadness kicks in. Here's a silly question. How do we obtain the love that God requires from us? Above everything ever taught to you, everything you have believed, and everything you hold as truth, this must be the most important. You have always been loved and will always be loved. Before you took your first breath, God's love was on you and around you. Through your hardest, loneliest moments, God has been holding you closer than you could ever be. Our job is not to obtain an already existing love, but to perpetuate that love to others to show up manifesting in our life. God loved you before you were born. And has never dropped that ball one time in your life. I don't feel loved. He loves you. I don't see his love. He's trying to show it to you. But we're too busy looking at those things. Saying that's the love I want. Instead of feeling this and saying the brother that's sitting behind me is the love he's giving me. The Blessings in my life is the love he's giving me. The place to go where I can worship is the love that he's giving me for that. So I think if there was one thing I could give you as advice to give to others or yourself, if you're not feeling it, is let's change the way we see love. Is it wrong with anything on those slides I showed? No, absolutely. They're great and wonderful. Everything but the Twilight slide. Great and wonderful. (laughs) You can have them in your lives. If you're a Twilight fan, whatever, go for it. But... You can have all those things in your life. God's not pulling that away from you between yourself and a committed relationship with your spouse. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you don't think love exists in your life, let's look at a couple other things. Brothers and sisters, this is love right here. A friend sitting with somebody in a hospital bed praying for them. That's love. Does this person have love in their life? Yep. Are they in a princess gown having a, a night proposed to them? Nope. But this is love. This is love. Greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. Risking everything you can to a person that may no longer even be alive, but pulling them out to make sure that you give them that chance. Risking your life so that they may live. That's love. Giving back to those who need it the most. Delivering food. Thrive Phoenix is doing so much stuff right now. That is love, taking your time to volunteer. Some of these people going into war-torn areas to give food to others. Just saying, Hey, I love you. I think about you. I care about you. This is love. No milkshakes or two straws in this picture. It's just a lot of hard work and a lot of people that care. This is love being a comfort to somebody in their last days sitting beside somebody's bedside saying, I'm going to be here with you till the end. That's love. Friendship, laughs, having fun. Probably had some of these pictures when you were a kid with somebody you were close to. Don't let it go away. Don't let it go away. Find those friendships. If it's with your spouse, fantastic. If it's with your brother, fantastic. If it's with a friend, fantastic. But this is love. You don't need any ball gowns to dress up for this. Just going out and having fun. But, brothers and sisters, this is all that matters. This is love. This is love. And I have first loved you. That's it. Does somebody love me? Yes. It's right there. Do I need my hypothalamus to tell my prefrontal cortex that somebody loves me? Nope. I just got to look at this picture. Somebody loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. This week, when you go out, I always give you guys a challenge. Tonight when you leave, tomorrow when you see your coworkers, whenever it is, show love. You would have to tell them, please don't tell them. I'm showing you love right now by doing this. But do a loving act for them. Because love, just like hope. Is something that can be practiced, something you can get better at, something you can find new ways to do. Do one thing, maybe help them with assignment or work, pick up lunch for them, <coughs> tell your wife an extra I love you tomorrow, whatever it is, but show your love. Because when you do this, this part of your brain will control this one here that's telling you to do all those things you shouldn't and saying, nope, we do it for God first.